0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com We're discussing uh, Lagba Omer, which is going to be next Friday, next Thursday night. Next Thursday night is Lagba Omer. So I'm going to be one week in advance, and we have some ideas in our head before we go into sort of jumping into Lagba Omer, we're going to have some ideas in our head. First, I'd like to quote the Shulchan Aruch. And the Shulchan Aruch discusses the Omer itself. He says... We, uh, the minhag is, and interesting, it's only a minhag. The minhag is and we do not get married between Pesach and Atzeret, he says, between Pesach and Shavuot, up to Lag ba-omer. Why? Because the period of the Omer we know is a sad period because the students, the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva passed away between Pesach and Shavuot. Okay, so that's what uh, the Shulchan i just quoting Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo. Avani says, We are not to get engaged. So the only thing is not to get married, but getting engaged is allowed. And, uh, and if a person did get married, we don't punish them, he says. the person just went and got married. There's no penalties in Jewish law. It's a valid marriage, even though the men is not to get married. So it's hard to find a rabbi who will do the wedding but was person did, and they did the wedding. There is no penalties at all for getting married. It's a mitzvah to get married. It's a provo. And then he continues. He says, mm-hmm. The minag is not to have a haircut until lagba lag ba'omer. It's a little bit reason why I'm a little bit rough around the edges. The minag is not to get uh, haircuts until the lag ba'omer. And, uh, and then, so then we have a discussion between the Sephardi and so Sephardim, we say, I mean, Shukran says not to get haircuts till Lada Baboker, till the 34th day of the Omer in the morning. Now, this year, it's very easy. Why? Because Lada Omer is a Shabbat. And obviously, there's no haircuts on Shabbat. So everyone this year, and Ashkenazim, both agree. This year, we can all have haircuts on Lada Omer, which is Friday. So Friday morning is a good time to have a haircut next Friday morning. We can all have haircuts. There's no discussion this year but in a regular year when is baomer's uh, other day of the week then uh, Friday, we have mahmir for another day we have haircuts on lada baomer so the question is when do they pass when they stop passing away so Friday, we say they stop passing away on the baomer on the 34th day of the month not the 33rd anyway and uh, then he brings down over here a very interesting the the custom is he says that um the, uh, okay, Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer. So let's talk a bit about Lagba Omer. What's going on in Lagba Omer? So it's a kaf ha-chaim. The kaf was Rabbi Yaakov Chaim Sofer. Rabbi Yaakov Chaim Sofer was a rabbi who moved to Israel from Iraq, from Baghdad, from Babylon. And uh, he wrote a book, a commentary on the Shulchanan, called The Kaf Ha-chaim. It was a play on his name, Chaim. So he wrote a book called The Kaf haim chaim The Hand of Chaim and uh, he wrote a book called The Kavah and in The Kavah he discusses the origins of Lagba Omer. It's interesting, he brings down a few different reasons for Lagba Omer being a happy day, and uh, so obviously the first reason is brought down by the Shulchan Aruch. He says that on Lagba Omer, the students of Rabbi Kiva stopped dying, so there were no more students dying, and therefore Lagba Omer became a happy day. That's number one reason why Lagba Omer is a happy day. Number two, and he says, This is the Pre who was a very famous uh, Sephardic rabbi from Turkey um, in the uh, 17th century, 17th, 18th century Pre And here he says, The reason is because Rabbi Kiva took five more students. He didn't stop teaching Torah after his 24,000 students passed away. He took five more students, which we're going to talk about. One of these five students was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. That's the association between Rabbi Rashomon Rabbi Barichai and Lagba Omer point to this reason. So the reason of Lagba Omer being happy day is not because the 24,000 students stopped passing away. It's because of the renewal of Rabbi Akiva, who took five more students and taught him all the Torah he knew. And from him comes all the Torah, which we have today, comes from these five students. So therefore, Lagba Omer is the day on which he took five more students. And therefore, we celebrate this fact with Lagba Omer being a happy day. That's the second reason. The third reason is, Rabbi Akiva took these five students, and he gave them smicha. He gave them smicha, and that's the third reason of Lag Baomer giving smicha. Baomer, and uh, and the Torah started spreading through Israel. So, who are these five students? A little bit of a debate about one of them, who they were. Uh, everyone agrees, Rabbi Meir Baranes, famous Rabbi Meir Baranes, who was had could do miracles. And we had in our siddurichot prayers on on uh, before Rosh Hashanah, ten days of repentance, and on Rosh Hashanah On Yom Kippur, Elahad, Meir, Aneni, Elahad, Meir, Aneni, Anenu, Bishchute, Baruchai, Anenu. It's interesting. We pray in merit of Baruchai, Rosh Bar Hashanah, We're going to talk about and Anenu, Elahad, Rabbi Meir, Anenu. And uh, answer us, the God of Meir. So two students of Rabbi Akiva, famous students of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon which we're going to talk about tonight, and Rabbi Meir Balhanes. Rabbi Meir, who could do miracles, who's buried in Tiveria, At the entrance of Tiveria, you'll see a massive tomb of Rami Meir Balhanes, well worth going, and, uh, but not on a happy day. A person should not go on a happy day like Rosh Chodesh, shouldn't go to tombs, they shouldn't go in the month of Nisan. In the month of Tishrei, it's good not to go to tombs anywhere, which uh, causes a person to cry or be sad. Should be A person should keep away from in Jewish holidays, Rosh Chodesh, uh the Moed, uh the month of Nisan, and the month of Tishrei, which are happy months. So it's good to go to the tombs, but not on those days. And it's important, we mentioned last week, not to pray to them. We don't pray to the dead. That's, cause that's a different religion. We're not Jews. Don't pray to the dead. We pray to God in their merits. In their merits. Hashem should answer us in their merits. very important going, going to go into someone's grave, to go into a tomb, uh, to pray. Make sure you don't pray to the dead person. Make sure you pray to Hashem directly. We only believe in Hashem. There's only one power in the world. We only believe in Hashem. Hashem has the power to answer our prayers. In the merits of the tzaddik who is buried there and here next to us, in the merits of Rachel Emeno, we go to the tomb of Rachel, Kever Rachel Emenu. we go to the tomb of the patriarchs, in the merit of our forefathers, Hashem should answer us. In fact, that's how we start off our Shemona Esrei, the Amidah, in the merits of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, answer us. So in the merits of the deceased, we don't pray to the deceased. Anyway, so Rabbi Kiv had five great students, Ramey Baranes, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and Rabbi Huda Barilai. Rabbi Huda Barilai is also buried in, in the Galil because all the great rabbis, the only place in Israel which was not di- totally destroyed by the Romans was the Galil. And that's why you'll find all these great rabbis, students of Rabbi Akiva from Rabbi Akiva's time on, uh, all buried in the Galil, in the Tveriyat Tzfat neighborhood. In that area, they're buried. So, Rabbi Huda Barilai, tremendous sage. Uh, whenever the Mishnah says Rabbi Huda, it's Rabbi Huda Baranai. Whenever it says Rabbi Shimon, it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Whenever it says Rabbi Meir, it's Rabbi Meir bar Anes, And Rabbi Yossi, uh, Rabbi Yossi Bar Khalafta. So when the Mishnah says Rabbi Yossi, it's Rabbi Yossi Bar Khalafta. And uh, lastly, there's a debate is it Rabbi Azza Ben Shamua, who's also Rabbi Azza in the Mishnah, or was it Rabbi Nechemiah? Uh, one of so it's five sages or six sages, the main rabbis, uh, the main students of Rabbi Kiva after the 24,000 students died, which is one of the reasons why Lagba became a happy day, because he took more students and he gave them smicha, according to some opinions, on Lagba itself, and that's why Lagba became a happy day. The fourth reason that uh, we celebrate Lagba for is probably the most famous reason, uh, but it's not the most widespread reason. Well, today it is probably... But in those days, it was a minority opinion. Uh, and the reason is because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai passed away on Lagba Omer. I said it's a minority opinion, but this became a majority opinion. Everyone wants to go to Meron, which is where he's buried, like, uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is buried in Meron, with his son, Rabbi Elazar. So it's interesting, the cave that he hid in was not in Meron. I'm going to talk about the story. The cave he hidden was not in Meron. He died in Meron and was buried in Meron. He was buried in Meron, But the cave is in Pekin. It's in a place called Pekin, which is very interesting. I'm going to talk about it. And it's probably one of the oldest synagogues that you can go to in Israel is the synagogue in Pekin, which has been in direct use since that time. Since the time, some people say it was the Bet HaMidrash of Rabbi Yeshua Ben Hananiah who was one of the teachers, of Rabbi Kiba. So it's a synagogue in Pekin, which is still standing today. You can go to Pekin. You can go to the synagogue in Pekin. It's a, a beautiful synagogue. It's an old. It's the old, one of the oldest synagogues in Israel in uh, constant use. In fact, the community, the Jewish community of Pekin, uh, a lot of them were Kohanim. They were also there uh, continuously till today, continuously till today, from the time of the Roman era, continuously till today, without any break uh, in history. Jews lived in Pekin all the time. Today, it's, uh, I think it's a Druze village but they welcome Jewish tourists. They love Everyone loves uh, tourists. So anyway, so there are four reasons. Let's just go back over these four reasons why Lagba Omer became a happy day. Number one, the students, Rabbi Akiva, 24,000 students stopped dying on Lagba Um, That's number one. Number two is he took more students on Lagba Omer, apparently, Rabbi Akiva took more students, five major students we talked about. Number three is he gave them smicha on Lagba Omer. And number four is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai dies on Lagba uh, Apparently, he died in Lagba which is very strange to celebrate the death of a great rabbi. We normally don't celebrate death. We celebrate Judaism is a celebration of life. It's not a celebration of death. And it's interesting because after a funeral, we come back and the first thing we do is, is we eat. Uh, we have what's called a Sudat Havra'ah. And the reason why we eat after a funeral is not because we celebrate death, is we're celebrating the fact that we are alive and we want to live. And even after we lose our relative, a person has to know that life continues. And you come home and you have your meal. And uh, it's not a celebration of death. It's a celebration of life. Life is important. We have to continue living. And that's the secret of Jewish survival. That despite all the agonies, all the Holocaust, you know, probably the time we said, is I, I would say it's, it's a great Holocaust. It was half the Jews in the world were killed by the Romans. People don't realize it. Hadrian, the emperor, Hadrian... Uh, I just looked up Hadrian and, and he gets a glowing, he gets a glowing review in Wikipedia. Hadrian, the emperor, gets a glowing review in Wikipedia. And there's only a little section over there on the second Jewish revolt. It's interesting to read it and you'll see how twisted the whole uh, article is, how pro-Hadrian it was, even though Hadrian was the biggest, the worst anti-Semite in history, probably, uh, with his anti-Jewish, well, uh, the Jews called ha- caused him havoc. Um, he lost two of his legions. Imagine he lost six thousand troops, and uh, and that's why he probably hated the Jews. Anyway, and, but he had terrible restrictions on on Jewish uh, life: no Brit Milah, no uh, learning Torah. He killed all the great rabbis. Mm-hmm. It was under Hadrian that Rabbi Ki was put to death, and that's why Rabbi Shimon Bar spoke against the Romans, which we're going to talk about. Well, we got to talk about Rabbi Shimon Bar Let's talk about Rabbi Shimon Bar We talked about Omer. Now let's move on to Rabbi Shun Bar So why do we celebrate Rabbi Shun Bar death? And the answer is that Rabbi Shun Bar himself said to his students when he was dying, don't cry, but celebrate. Celebrate my death because I'm going to my place in Gan Eden. He was one of the few people who could see when he was still alive. He could still, he could see in advance where exactly he's going to be in Gan Eden. So, so he was quite happy to go to Gan Eden. And even though everyone else was crying around him, he was happy. And he said, please don't cry. Please celebrate my death. Anyway, that's one account. That's one account. That's one reason why Lagbong was famous. I just saw a very beautiful story, which I want to share with you. It's in a book. I think it's called Toldat, uh, Toldat Adam. Um, and over there, it talks about how or the birth of Shimon Bar Yochai. So he's Shimon Bar Yochai. So we know his father's name was Yochai. His mother's name was Sarah, Sarah and Yochai. Sarah and Yochai were married for many years, and they were childless. It's interesting, a lot of these stories start off like that. They were childless, and Yochai is thinking, what should I do in those days? If a marriage was childless, then they would be divorced after 10 years. We learn it from Abraham and Sarah. Then Abraham took another wife to Hagar after being, living 10 years in Israel uh, with Sarah being childless. So, you can marry another wife in those days, a divorce your wife. And uh, Yochai was thinking of divorcing his wife, and his wife started praying and crying to Hashem endlessly. And that Rosh Hashanah, it's, it's interesting, it says Yochai had an amazing dream. His dream was he was in a forest. And in the forest, he had trees, which were massive trees, fruitful trees. And then there were other trees just dying and dead dry and dying trees and he was actually holding on his tree he was holding on to a dying tree and then all of a sudden he sees this this uh, being that comes in with this magnificent face uh, an angel watering some trees that were dying he's walking around this forest with a pit of water pouring water on some on some dry trees and eventually comes to Yochai's tree And he takes out a saucer of water, and he pours the water around the tree. And hey, the tree starts turning green and flowering, and it changes totally. And now it's a living tree, and it's giving fruit. And Yochai wakes up from his dream. He says, wow, it's amazing. I saw in this dream, he tells his wife, Sarah, he says, Sarah, for sure you're going to have a baby this year. This is the dream I had. That the tree, this lifeless tree I was holding onto, which I, did, I guess was you, and uh, that's uh, it started, f- this this being came around watering the tree, and you got the water, and uh, the tree came to life, and you're gonna have a baby. The only problem I have is that all the other lifeless trees, he watered from a bucket. And with my tree, he watered from a saucer. He had a saucer of water, a special saucer of water he watered. What is that special saucer of water? I don't know. Let's go to Rabbi Akiva to find out what the answer is. So the story is they go to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, you're right. You explained the dream exactly this year, Bezra'l Hashem. Hashem is going to bless you with this child, this amazing child, this prodigy who's going to learn Torah and be a light to the generation. And the reason why, um, the reason why, reason why you had a flask you had a a source of water that source of water was really your wife's tears when she was praying your wife's tears so your wife's tears are within within that saucer so amazing we 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 don't know the power of tears person prays with tears the Torah says uh, the Talmud says that the gates of tears were never closed the person's praying with tears it's amazing the power of the tears so here her tears watered the tree and the power of her tears lifted up her prayers and gave her this baby, Shimon. Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai was a son of Yochai and Sarah. Uh, Yochai was a descendant of uh, Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda. And Sarah was a descendant of the famous Hillel, which we talked about uh, last week. Hillel. She was a descendant of Hillel. He was a descendant of Yehuda. And it was a very, very important family, a very, very wealthy family. Uh, Yochai had very good relations with the Romans. Don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, his son Shimon was brought up with the best of everything, and when Shimon was a young boy, he went to Bene Brak, as we see in the Haggadah, Who was in Bene Brak, the yeshiva of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva lived in Bene Brak, not the Bnei Brak today, but the Bnei Brak in those days were destroyed by the Romans. Um, so he went to Bnei Brak to learn the yeshiva. He stayed in the yeshiva 13 years. Rabbi Shimon Barichai learned with Rabbi Akiva for 13 years. And then he went and he opened his own yeshiva, eventually moved to Tekoa, which is now um, a yeshuv in the West Bank, a yeshuv called Tekoa. It was uh, the yeshiva of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai at one time. Anyway, so Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Shimon became very attached to Rabbi Akiva until Rabbi Akiva even called him his son. He was attached to Shimon. And that was the time of the persecution of this Roman emperor Hadrian. who shut down all the yeshivot, Tried to destroy Judaism as a religion. He was the one who changed the name of Judah to Palestine, Palestinia, uh, Syria, Palestinia. Made it part of Syria because that's where the Roman provinces were ruled by the procurators in Syria, and uh, that's where the name of Israel lost its name and became Palestinia. Yeah, so that we have we have Hadrian uh, to thank for that. And he also changed the name of Yushalayim, had it plowed over, uh, to Aelina, Capitolina, And uh, so, anyway, so anyway, so that's uh, a little bit of uh, Hadrian. And Hadrian shut down all the yeshivot. He was forbidden to teach Torah on penalty of death. Rabbi Akiva continued to teach the Torah publicly. And his devoted student, Shimon, stayed by his side until Rabbi Akiva was arrested. And it seems like Shimon, we said, Yochai, had great contacts with the Romans, and Shimon was allowed to visit Rabbi Akiva in the jail. And he would go to jail, go to jail to visit Rabbi Akiva, bringing some food, bringing some water. And the story is that one day, the uh, the guardian of the of the jail saw how much water they're bringing Rabbi Akiva, and he spilled half of it on the floor. And he said, "Here, yeah, that's enough water for your master." And they took the water to Rabbi Akiva with the bread, and Rabbi Akiva used the water to wash his hands for bread instead of drinking. And they said, why? Kiba, why are you doing that? I want to show everyone how important this rabbinical law of washing hands before eating bread is. Uh, so it's a very interesting, even when he was in jail, Rabbi Kiba was meticulous in all the, 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 the small commandments and the big commandments, everything. And uh, and Rashimon tried to learn Torah in the, from Rabbi Kiba in jail. So only death finally separated them and obviously, Shimon witnessed Akiva's death. It was a terrible death on Yom Kippur. I'm not going to go into details. It a very, very terrible. He had his skin, skin peeled off him while he was alive with iron combs. And uh, at the end, uh, Rabbi Akiva said, Shema Israel," And that's what we do before we pass away, Bezra Uh We practice every day said God is one, and when He said it, He died. So, when they asked him, he says Akiva, how can you, Rabbi? He says, how can you have this uh, peace of mind, this state of mind? You're, you're being tortured, and you're saying Shema. And he said, all my life, all my life, I waited for this to uh, this moment of uh, accepting God's uh, presence on the day of my death. So, it's, it's an important idea. This idea of practicing Shema and uh, accepting for oneself the yoke of heaven to practice till the day one's death. anyway shimon obviously saw this and because of that he hated he hated the the romans he hated the i was going to say germans freudian slip he hated the romans and uh, the 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 few rabbis had a meeting after that to discuss what the attitude towards the roman government would be rabbi huda rabbi yossi and rabbi shimon barichai got together they were discussing They didn't know there was a spy among them, another Rabbi Yehuda who was spying for the Romans, and they were discussing. And Rabbi Yehuda was very anti-Rome. He was the most anti-Rome because he saw how they treated Rabbi Akiva, how they killed him. And Rabbi Yossi had no opinion. And Rabbi Yehuda said the Romans are very good They're building us roads. They're building us bathhouses you know, it's very important because it's one of the Furkei says, don't say something that you'll later regret. In other words, even walls have ears, right? Uh, A person just says something, they think they're in private, but really they're not. And this story really bears this out, that uh, they thought they were in private, they thought discussing the Romans in private, and someone eavesdropping, and sure enough, the word gets back to the Romans. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is anti-Rome. Okay, kill him! Uh, Rabbi Huda, pro Rome, elevate him. He's going to be the first speaker at all gatherings of Jews. Rabbi Huda, Barilai becomes the first speaker. Rabbi Yossi, who did not say anything pro or anti, exile him. So Rishim Barichav was told about this decree against him. He runs to the Beit Midrash, it says, and he stays in the Beit Midrash, doesn't go anywhere. And his wife would bring him food until eventually it says he says to his son, uh, Elazar, let's go somewhere and hide in a cave. And even my wife, your mother, will not know where we are because I'm sure the Romans to- will torture her and get the news out of her where we are. So finally, they run to this cave in Pekiin, which we talked about earlier, a small village and uh, cave. They hid in the cave for 13 years. Well, 12 years, and then they came out after 12 years and they see people engaged in mundane activity and Rabbi Lazar says to his father, "How come they're they engaged in mundane activity? They're not learning Torah." And he looked at them, and he burnt everything in sight. That's what the midrash says. So the gemara says, "Interesting." This gemara is in Masachet Shabbat. On guess which page? It's on page Lamed Gimel Lag BaOmer. So it's very easy to remember. Page thirty-three. Like like BaOmer is thirty-three. The story about Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai in the cave is in Shabbat Lag Omer, Lag Lag Lamed Gimel Amad Aleph Ahmed Bed in Shabbat, Shabbat. So interesting, if you want to look it up, this is the story. And then what happened is, they heard a voice from heaven, go back in your cave, you're going to destroy my world. So they go back into the cave, and after 12 months of being in the cave, they leave. Now, it's interesting to know the source. They left by themselves because they said, listen, the judgment of a person, a Rasha, after he dies is 12 months in Giena. We've been 12 months in the cave. That's enough. We've been 12 months in Now We learned our lesson. So they come out of the cave. And again, they see people engaged in mundane activity. They see a man carrying a bundle of hadasim. And they say to him, what's going on? Where are you going? What are you doing? He says, I just harvested some hadasim. L'Chavot Shabbat. This is L'Chavot Shabbat. Tomorrow is Shabbat. It's Friday. And I harvested hadasim. I want my house to smell a beautiful smell of, of this hadasim, of the uh, myrtle. Has a beautiful smell. And so they said, Wow, look at Amcha Israel, how holy they are. These guys preparing for Shabbat. They may be doing mundane work, but they have the right intentions. And they left. And that's why that's how they got out of the cave. So when they were in the cave, Hashem caused the carob tree to grow and the stream, and they got water from the stream and they ate the carobs. So that's the reason some people have carobs. I could never eat carobs, but some people have carobs on like moment because of that. And they studied in the cave, and they came out with this esoteric knowledge. Now, we're going to talk about that, because Rabbi Shimon bariachai is linked to the Zohar, as being the author of the Zohar, the majority of the Zohar is written by Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yachai and his students, uh, which we're going to talk about. But obviously, he's uh, rabbi, Rabbi Kiva, is also a very big Kabbalist. Rabbi Kiva was a tremendous Kabbalist. The Gemara says that four people entered the Pardes. What is the Pardes? They went through meditation. They meditated and they entered the worlds above through their meditation. It's impossible to enter the worlds above physically. It's not a physical world, these are spiritual worlds, but by the process of meditating. Now, how does a person meditate? The answer is the person tries to attach themselves to their own souls. The soul can see what we can't see. Our physical eyes cannot see what the soul, what our souls can see. If we could only attach ourselves to our souls, we'll be able to perceive things in the spiritual worlds that only the soul can see. So anyways, that's a bit of meditation. They will be able to meditate, these four great rabbis, um, Rabbi Akiva, Ben Azai, Ben Zoma, and Elisha Ben Abuya. Elisha Ben Abuya sees something that makes them think there are two powers in the world. He becomes an Apikoros, so therefore his name is never mentioned. The Gemara Gemara always calls him Acher, the other one. Elisha and Abuya became known as air, which is a tragic, his uh, parting from Judaism because of this, this misconception that he had. That's one of the reasons why we, it's not good to learn Kabbalah, the uh, restrictions, especially after Rabbi Shimon, uh, after Shabbatai Tzvi, the Rabbi said, the Ashkenazi Rabbi said, not until you're over the age of 40, not until you learn the whole Gemara. Because probably we never had these restrictions, but Ashkenazi made these restrictions because of. But it's good because we see what happened to Elisha and Abuya, he got mixed up. Ben Zomayyad says, when crazy Ben Azai dies, he just went off to the physical world. The only one that came out from the experience perfect was Rabbi Kiba. So Rabbi Kiba was one one of the great Kabbalists at that time. Obviously, there are four aspects to Judaism. Pshat, Remez, Drash, Sod. Pshat, which is a simple meaning. The Remez, which are the hints in the Torah. And the Drash, which is when the Rabbi gives a Drasha, that's Drash, learning things out from verses and Sod, which are the secrets of the Torah. That's the secrets which we're talking about. Um, but it's interesting. Rabbi Shimon was not just known to be a, a master of the secrets of the Torah. He was known to be the master of the Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon interestingly, was one of the most lenient opinions in the Mishnah. In most, in the majority of cases, Rabbi Shimon is the most lenient in the Mishnah. Uh, Rabbi Shimon Barichai also wrote works called the Mechilta. The Mechilta is the Halachic Midrash, on Sefer Shemot. He also wrote the Sifra, which is the Halachic Midrash on Bayikra and Midbar. So he is not just noted to be a Kabbalist, Rabbi Shimon was also a very big Halachist. And unfortunately, the Halach is not like him in many cases, but he was one of the most lenient of all the opinions. Interesting. Rabbi Shimon in the Mishnah is Rabbi Shimon Hai. Look through it when you learn Mishnah. I want to learn some Mishnah with you now, some Prikei Avot. Now's the time to learn It's actually on the third parik, third chapter of Avot, where Rabbi appears. And because he's the fourth generation Tanna, which is the time of the Mishnah. And he says he has a few interesting sayings in the Mishnah. So this is chapter three of Prikei Chapter three, Mishnah three. Again, it's 33. Like Baal, it's interesting. Rabbi Shimbayakha. If three people ate together on one table, and they didn't speak words of Torah, so it's as if they ate food of idolatry, Rabbi Shem Barakai says. If three people ate on the same table, and they said the Torah at the table, it's as if they ate the food of Hashem. Shemaz it says in Prophet Yeheskal, chapter 41, by Hashem. They said to me, This is the table which is before God. And this is this is the verse which is farther. We say, before Hashem. And this is probably the reason why we say this is because. To make the Torah on the table, we say the Torah during our meal. Uh, my friend in Yeshiva would actually say this Mishnah, this whole Mishnah, at every meal. This way, he was saying the Torah at the meal, a very appropriate Torah. A lot of other people just say the Halakha, Maim Acharonim Choba. Maim Acharonim is obligatory, which is a, is a Halakha in Shulchan Aruch. And this way, they, they say the Torah at the Shulchan at the table. So it's very important because we're a It elevates the food. A person who says the Torah when they eat, it elevates the fruit. It's it to try and say a line of Dibre Torah, learn something at the table. The Berish Chai was very big on this. He actually made a whole routine, two, three pages of Dibre Torah. You can find it in his books. Two, three pages of Dibre Torah to be said at the table. Uh, another, uh, another famous saying of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Imper Keavod, is um, it's also in chapter, it's actually in chapter two. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Heve Zahir Bekir Yachiman Betfila. Be very careful to say the Shema and Tefillah and Shemona Estra with Kavanah. It's very important. It's a very powerful prayer. To read it at the right time, to pray at the right time, and to say it with Kavanah. Say them with Kavanah. When you pray, don't pray like it's a yoke on your neck which you're trying to get rid of. But you should pray with uh, meaning And pray to God for mercy. Pleading and praying for mercy before Hashem. Hashem can can change the future for us. So it's very important to pray to Hashem. To save us from all troubles. And even a person sinned. Hashem should have. It's slow to mercy. Will not punish us. And still treat us with chesed, with kindness, and forgive us for our sins. So that's the purpose of prayer. Shuva says, "Be very careful with prayer." And Rabbi Shimon is also famous for another saying that uh, a person who is a to shuba is greater than a tzadik damur. Shalom, shalom, la rachok ve la karov, amar Hashem. Peace, peace to those who are far away and those who are close by. Says Hashem. Who do you greet first when you go to a wedding and you see guests coming in? Who do you greet first? you greet first the, we- the people who came from very short way away, which you see every day? Or do you greet first the people who came from miles away, who came specially for the wedding? And the answer is you greet the people who came from miles away. So the Rav Hashem says, we learn from there that Hashem, greets those who came from far away, those who are far away from Hashem, those who were sitting before and far away from Hashem, and they did Teshuvah, now they're coming close to Hashem. Hashem loves them more, and that's the level of Baal Teshuvah. Baal Teshuvah is greater than Sadiq Gamur. The other thing Rabbi Shimon says, another famous saying of Rabbi Shimon is, that uh, the cra- there's different crowns, there's the crown of Torah, there's the crown of the priesthood, there's the crown of uh, the kingship, and the crown of a good name is the greatest crown. A person should be a good person, should have a good reputation. The greatest crown of a person you can get is the crown of a good reputation. How do we know? Because we say in the Hashkava, Tov Shem, Shem and Tov. The Tavish Shalom Menach says in Mishle, better is a good oil, sorry, better is a good name than good oil. What he says good oil, doesn't mean the oil that comes from the ground. It means it's perfume, a perfumed oil. In those days, the oils were perfumed. And we find in the Megillades in there, they put the woman seven seven uh, months, six months. They put it in the myrrh oil. So we're talking about myrrh oil. We're talking about a beautiful scented oil. A good reputation is better than good oil. Why? Because the reputation travels further than a perfume. A person's reputation can travel around the globe, whereas a, a person perfume is only smellable maybe six feet away. So that's a good name. That's Rabbi Shem based on Mishlei on Shlomo Melech. A good a reputation is the most important crown. We should all try to have good reputations. That's a uh, crown. That's our crown. So anyway, so Hadrian, this, this emperor, uh, dies in tremendous pain. We don't know what kind of sickness he had, but we do know he tried to commit suicide many times to get out of the pain. And one of his enemies blessed him that he should die in tremendous pain. That even you pray, you should pray to die, basically. And uh, he tried to die many times. Maybe that was his uh, punishment from Hashem for all the troubles he caused us and the torture of the great sages that time Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Gamliel, uh, all the great rabbis Rabbi Ishmael, Kohen Gadol were all tortured by his, the tyrants, the Romans that time. Uh, it says 600,000 Jews were killed in Israel under Bar Koffer of At least 600,000 Jews were killed. Many cities were, were destroyed. Many villages were destroyed, we said, until the only portion of Israel which was have, inhabitable was the Galil. And the reason why the Galil was inhabitable is because the general of the Galilee, the Jewish general of the Galil, better known as Josephus, surrendered without fighting the Rome. And therefore, the Galil was spared by the Romans, by Vespasian. Anyway. So we are moving on, and we talked about how they ran away to the cave in Pekiin, and uh, that's how Rabbi Shem Baruch his son, Elazar, was saved. On the way back, they met Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, the famous rabbi, by which there are many stories in the Gemara Miracles. Uh, the most famous story is about his donkey, Rabbi Shem Pinchas Yair's donkey, I think we talked about it last week, so we we'll go look back on the tape can see the video from last week on Torah anytime. Uh, some people say it was Rabbi Shem bar father-in-law, and some people want to say he was his son-in-law. It's not so clear. There seems to be a contradiction in the Talmud. Was he his father-in-law? Was he his son-in-law? Anyway, it says when Rabbi Shem bar came out of the cave. Now, we can't imagine what it's like to live in a cave for 12 months. Uh, 12, forget about 12 months. 12 days. Forget about 13 years. He was in 13 years in a cave. It says they would take off their, they'll pray with their clothes on, they'll take off their clothes and bury themselves in sand and learn Torah all day. And mm-hmm. imagine, after 13 years, they're full of blisters. They're, they're, they're probably very pale, uh, lack of vitamin D, lack of good nourishment, just caroms and water. And they're full of welts. Their whole body's full of welts. And they go to the bathhouse and wrote, and, is uh, bathing uh, the back of Rabbi Shem Baruch and Rabbi Shem Bar-i-Khai screaming in pain, and Rabbi Pinchas ben says, woe to me that I see you in such pain, I see you in such a condition, and Rabbi Shem Bar-i-Khai answers, he says, no, it's good I'm in this condition, because this condition enabled me to learn Torah, and the Torah I learned in 13 years is something I could never learn in a regular time, in a regular day. So this, is, this, caused me, this caused me to learn more Torah, so, anyway, we said Rabbi Shimon Ba'ichai is the author of the Sifri, Halachi Midrash, Mechilta, and he's also the author of the Zohar. He's also the author of the Zohar. We're just going to talk more about this. And uh, it was a very rough time, history, Jewish history, time persecution. And uh, before we go to the Zohar, uh, Rabbi Shimon's rabbi was, we talked about the Pardes. Today, if you go to Pekian, um, They've, uh, you can imagine the, the the mouth of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's cave is still accessible but the interior interior of the cave was destroyed during, during an 18th century earthquake and according to our tradition this, there was a series, not just one cave it was a series of tunnels uh, forming an underground highway between Pekin and swatch now that's just a legend I don't know if that's true um, today you can never go the only thing you go into is the ent- entry of the cave because of the earthquake outside the mouth of the cave till today. The carrot tree is there, still bears fruit, and a beautiful uh, pool is still there of water outside the cave. So amazing! the cave is still there, the tree is still there, the, the, I don't know, if the same tree, and there's a stream outside just as well, there's a pool of water out there. Most of the Jewish families of Pekin were kohanim, and uh, exempted from slave labor, in uh, Mitzrayim, we saw same same thing over here. They survived somehow, the Romans and all the other uh, conquerors of Israel. So interesting, the uh, It's an in place, interesting point, place to visit, and uh, go on a visit and see this synagogue, the oldest one of the oldest synagogues in Israel. Okay, there's an interesting another interesting episode. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories. A story of Shalom Bayit and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. A couple comes to Rabbi Shurim Bar from the town of Sidon, which today is in Lebanon, but in those days was part of Judea. And they've been married for over 10 years. And again, we talked about that earlier. And they're not being blessed with children. They asked Rabbi Shurim Bar to grant them a divorce because they never had children. So Rabbi Yochai says something very strange. He says, he said to them, just like you made a party when you got married, make a party, your last party before you get divorced. So okay, the rabbi says make a party. They make a, They made a big party uh, for everyone. Everyone they invited to the wedding. They invited now, prior to the divorce, which is going to come through. Rosh Hashanah is going to do a divorce the next day. They made a big party, and this man he gets drunk in the party, and he tells his wife, "Please," he says, "I love you so much. You're, you're welcome. Take anything you want from my house. The most desirable objects in my house, you can take." and go to your father's house when I divorce you. So he's drunk, he goes to sleep. The next morning he wakes up, looks around him, says, this is not my house, where am I? Sees his wife, he asks his wife, says, tell me, dear, where am I? She said, well, you told me, take the most desirable object in my house and take it to your father's house. And my darling, you are the most desirable object I have. And I took you to my father's house. That's where we are, we're in my father's house. You're the most desirable object. <laughs> so when he heard this, he couldn't divorce her. You went back to Rabbi Bar They both go back. Rabbi Bar this is the story. My wife took me. I'm the most desirable object she has. I cannot divorce her. Rabbi Bar says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a bracha. Next year, you're going to have a child. And because you love each other so much and pray for a child and I'm going to give you a blessing and Bezrael next makes you're going to have a child and that was the end of the story so it's a beautiful story of Shalom Bait he said you have such an honest and loving wife you will surely be blessed with children and that's what happened they had children so many miracles occurred when Rabbi Shimon and his son were in the cave the legend is Eliyahu Navi comes to teach them Torah they learn all the secrets and that's what got written down eventually in the Zohar the Zohar means light, okay, so it's Zohar, light, bright light. And for hundreds of years, the teaching of the Zohar was handed down from one generation to the next, until Rabbi Moshe ben Leon, the Leon, lived about 650 years ago, published the Zohar, okay. From that time on, the Zohar became widely studied. The truth is, you cannot really study Zohar. You can read Zohar, and that's why every other book of the Torah, if you don't understand it, you know, you'd say learning Torah. If you just read the Zohar, you're not even understanding it. You're a yotze learning Torah. Why? Because even if you do understand it, you don't really understand it. It's right, It's impossible to understand. Kabbalah is something which is beyond our human minds. Um, and uh, so I just heard today one big Kabbalah said, it will take 900 years to learn the books of the Ariza. 900 years. And then you know, a couple of years later, he said, no, it takes 700 years. Okay. So 700 years. You have 700 years. But we should all have 700 years to learn Torah. Uh, but these are esoteric topics that it's very hard for the brain to even comprehend. It's like H.G. Uh, Wells in, uh, in the Time Machine, right? How do you describe the future to someone who's never lived the future? How, how do you describe uh, worlds above if, you, if you, never dis- uh, you never experienced a spiritual world? these are things that we never experienced so we're trying to learn about spiritual concepts without even being able to grasp them we're physical beings we have no real grasp on the spiritual concepts behind kabbalah anyway so the zohar is full of information but it's very hard to understand it until the time of the arizal the arizal expounded on the zohar all his knowledge is based on zohar is based on a mission by Yochai. He explained the Zohar without him. It's very hard to understand the Zohar. But even with him, it's hard to understand him. (laughs) Okay. So Roshim Bar Yochai flourished in the years 135 CE to 170 CE, which is exactly the time of the Bar Revolt. After the Bar Revolt, after the death of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Kiva, he was one of the five main students. His father, Yochai, was a pacifist who was well-liked by the Romans. And he was a bitter opponent of the revolt against Rome, led by Bar Kokhba. And Rabbi Shimon Bar was very loyal to Rabbi Akiva. However, he had his disagreements with Akiva. Anyway, so Rabbi Shimon Bar was a genius. He was a genius. And uh, he learned uh, Kabbalah, but he, he knew the whole Torah. He was uh, he was mentioned in Mishnah, the Mishnah, in the bright everything, all the Gemara, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon. And uh, Rabbi Shimon was uh, so sure of his greatness. He said, this is very interesting. Rabbi Shimon is very much against pride, but he says that if there are if there are a hundred people going to Gan me and my son Elazar are going to be part of them. If there's only two going to Gan from the generation, me and my son Elazar are them. We are the ones. So very interesting. This is Gemara like in Sukkah forty five b, and He's also credited with saying, with his son and Yotam, king of Judah, with their merits, he'd be able to free the whole world from judgment. But there's other opinions that say, he says, Abraham and the prophet Ahia of Shirani, instead of his son and Yotam, he'll be able to free the whole world with, uh, from judgment. Uh, in his time, it says, there was never a rainbow seen. So, a rainbow reminds God of his covenant uh, to Noah. He will not destroy the world. And when the rainbow is seen, it's not really a good omen, Jewish uh, concept. And in the time of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, a rainbow was never seen. His merits were enough to defend the whole world. Anyway, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, great man, great scholar. The most important thing in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's life was the study of Torah. And in fact, he had a big discussion with Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Shimon was was... Uh, uh, Haruta of Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Shema was a generation above him. and He had a big discussion about Rabbi Shmael. Rabbi Shmael says, we learn from the Shema. You'll gather in your grain, the Shema says. You'll gather in your grain that a Jew has to work. He works, he gathers in his grain, he works, and then he studies Torah. He works and studies Torah. Rabbi Yishimu Bar is it's a great exception to that. He says, if a person works, they go and they plant, and they harvest, and they gather their grain, when is there going to be time in the day to learn Torah? So he argued and he said, no, a person should just learn Torah all day long. And that was his opinion, mm-hmm. uh, that Torah is the most important thing. And uh, we see that he survived 13 years of miracle, 13 years in the cave, studying Torah, that was his opinion. So the Gemara says, many did like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but it didn't work. They couldn't just study Torah without learning, without uh, doing a trade. They had no way to, to sustain themselves. Many did like Rabbi Adam, and it helped. So that's the bottom line. The bottom line is the opinion that we follow is not Rabbi Shem Chai. It's the opinion of Rabbi Shmael. go to work, and in your time that you have time off, when you come home, learn Torah. So shukran says something <laughs> very hard to do. He says, learn Torah nine hours of the day and work three hours of the day. So this is Halachai Shulchan Aruch. If you can find a job like that, please tell me. That's one of the reasons why I became a rabbi. If you, if you can learn, find a job, you can work three hours a day and learn nine hours a day. Halavai, you could do that. Uh, the, the great sages of Babylon would tell their, tell their students, go home and come back when you finished the uh, harvest season, come back. So go plant, uh, prune, harvest, and when you finish the harvest season, come back and learn that's the time to learn Torah when you finish the harvest. So when you save that money, come and learn Torah. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that was not Rabbi Shimbrai brei Chai. Rabbi Chai. another great story. It says one of his students, they couldn't take anymore. His students were just, they had no way of survival unless they had rich parents. One of the students ran away, became a businessman, comes back after I don't know how many years with bundles of cash. And the other students say, wow, maybe we should do the same thing. He came back with money and he's learning Torah now. He has money, he can learn Torah. We don't have anything. So eventually Rosh Hashanah hears that they want to leave the yeshiva. He takes them to a mountain with a massive valley below and he says to them, look at this valley. You want to leave learning Torah? I want to show you your reward in the next world. And they hear clinking of gold coins. The whole valley starts clinking with gold coins. It gets filled up with gold coins. And he says to them, he says, look, you want, you want your reward in this world, go and take all the gold coins you can gather. But if you don't want your reward in this world, I'm going to guarantee your reward in the next world. If you learn Torah in this world, you're going to get your reward in the next world. And that was the opinion of Rabbi Shimon by a high, very radical approach, very extreme approach. Um, but he did it. He did it himself in his life. He studied Torah with no worries, physical worries. Uh, He would live on the minimum and study Torah. That was his opinion. That's not normative halakha. Normative halakha is like Rabbi Ishmael. Go and and get a trade and learn Torah as well. The trouble is a lot of people forget the as well. So it's very important to learn Torah as well. One spare time, go to Shirim. You come home, study that spare minute. The Vindagan says every spare minute of the day a person should try and learn Torah. So that's the idea. That's the idea. Study as much Torah as possible. So that's Rabbi Shimon bar the greatness of Rabbi Shimon bar um, And let's talk a bit about Zohar. Zohar talks about the death of Rabbi Shirem bar the, the Zohar says Rabbi Shimon spent the entire day in a prophetic stream of consciousness, revealing the deepest mystical secrets of Torah. He told the students, until now I have held the secrets close to my heart. But now, before I die, I wish to reveal it all. That's the fifth reason why Lugbom had such a happy day, is because he revealed the secrets that he was hiding till the day of his death. So on the day of his death, he revealed secrets he didn't reveal before. Rabbi Abba, who was a student assigned with the job of writing down his words, writes, I couldn't even lift my head due to the intense light emanating from Rabbi Shimon. The entire day, the house was filled with fire and nobody could get close Due to the wall of fire and light. At the end of the day, the fires finally subsided. I was able to look at the face of Rabbi Shimon. He was dead, wrapped in his talit, lying on his right side and smiling. Why was Rabbi Shimon bathed in light and fire? Because Torah is compared to fire. Eshtat Lamo we talked about. Eshtat It's the middle words of the Torah. Eshtat It's a fire of law. It's a fiery law. The Torah is a fire. And the Zora is a is a fire, shiny light. So that's the uh I just want to say a bit more about the death of Rabbi Shimon. Uh I'm gonna try and quote uh, Rabbi Shimon. Uh okay. The Zora says. In the 600th year of the six thousand the gates of wisdom on high and the wellsprings of lower wisdom will be opened this is fascinating prediction by the zohar which matches around the year 1800 that's where the springs of lower wisdom definitely open that's where industrial revolution started around the 1800s so this is the 600th of the year 6000 which is the 5600 approximately 5600 the, the the it says the springs of knowledge on high and the wellsprings of knowledge below will open that approximates to the learning of the arizals the, the study of the arizal's wisdom spreads through the world both through the vulnerable and through hasidim and through svarim. and uh, so that's the gates of wisdom on high will open and the springs of low wisdom which is the industrial revolution will also open this will prepare the world to enter the seventh thousands, just like a person prepares himself towards sunset on Friday for Shabbat. That's what the Zohar says. The Zohar says the redemption of Israel will come through the mystic force of the letter Vav. Vav is six, which referring to the sixth millennium. We are now in the sixth millennium. We've been in the sixth millennium for the last 781 years. We're getting closer and closer to the year 7,000. This is what Rabbi Shem is saying in the Let's just read a bit more in the Zohar. Happy are those who will be left alive at the end of the 6th millennium. That's We're close. We're very close. We're, we're happy are those who will be left alive at the end of the 6th millennium to enter the Shabbat, which is the 7th millennium. For that is the day set apart for the Holy One on which to effect the reunion of the new souls with the old souls in the world. That's what the Zohar says. There's a Kabbalistic tradition, it's also in the Gemara, that each of the seven days of creation in Genesis chapter 1 corresponds to seven millennia. Of the existence of the natural creation so every thousand of our years is a, a day of creation and uh, just like the fish ends with the seventh day so to our world will end with the seventh millennia the messianic age that's going to be the messianic age there's the, the seventh millennia a shabbat day of rest and this is brought down by many scholars uh the ramban the ibn ezra Rabbi have the Villegaon, all the great Chaziri Rebis, the Ramchal, Arya Kaplan, all these, this this, this concept covers everyone. Ramban Nachmanides, is also a very big Kabbalah, says in Shara Gemul, which is a very interesting work, which talks about the reward of a person after this world. He writes in the sixth millennium, we'll see the advent of Mashiach, and the seventh millennium will be the Shabbat of the world to come, wherein the righteous will be resurrected and rejoice. And he says, this is what the Torah says. And God blessed the seventh day, which we say in the Kiddush every Friday, and sanctified it. He's referring to the world to come, which begins in the seventh millennia. So it's going to be a time of great eternal delight for those who merit the resurrection. So just like one prepares during the six days for Shabbat, so too one should prepare during the 6,000 years for the 7,000 years. So, So we're very close to it. We're a couple of hundred years away from it, Bez Hashem, we will all see this uh, messianic era, Bezrad Hashem, uh, speedily in our days, and uh, all our troubles will be over. Bezrad Hashem, and uh, we will uh, learn the Torah of Rabbi by And and Hashem, will, we will enjoy a beautiful Shabbat. Everyone, have a Shabbat Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.